Welcome to Highway Freaks, real truckers, real life. I'm Bry Guy, your road dog host, introducing my road crew from British Columbia, Canada, J-Man the Star, from Vancouver Island, Motorhead Mark, and Cruisin' Corinne, from Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Electric Aaron, and of course, country rock singer G.M. Blacktop, produced by Calgary's Power Pack. Yes, that's the way it works. I'm Bry Guy, your host, and we are Highway Freaks, real truckers, real life. And tonight, another variety of my panel, my road crew. Tonight we have Cruisin' Corinne, Motorhead Mark, Ghost Hunter Greg, and Tony B, along with our producer, Power Path. So tonight we're going to feature some more Fist songs. We've got some old and some new. Uh, mixed in a bit uh, from their uh, classic albums to their brand new album, Alive. Coming up on the weekend of November 15th, by the way, on Bry Guy's eye-opener interview show, I am so proud to uh, have this guy on my show, Brian Vollmer, who is the lead singer of Helix. He's been in Helix for 49 years, so I am saying that he probably has a lot of stories, eh? Um, no doubt about that. Uh, we had a great, great Halloween Howler Pat podcast. I can't say that enough. That was just phenomenal. Um, Greg and your ghost hunting stories, they were just, they were out of this world, uh, to coin a, a cliche. Cruz and Corinne is going to talk about the death of, the sudden death of uh, friend star Matthew Perry. I'm going to go into another death on Richard Roundtree, the original Shaft, and I actually met him. Uh, back in 2008, uh, we were going to have the debut of Dirty Dan. We're having technical difficulties, so next week he'll be ready to rock and roll. And um, that's unfortunate, but we will keep everything all busy, working hard, as we always do. So we're going to start with Motorhead Mark. Uh, welcome to the show, Mark, and uh, let the freaks know uh, what's on your mind. So it, 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 I'm a, I'm a veteran. I served our country. My dad served, all my uncles served, my grandfather served and so on and so forth. Um, I have a very deep rooted, um, feeling about Remembrance Day and I have had for a very, very long time. And it comes up every year and every year I get a little bit perturbed about it and, um, this year is no different. I mean, yes, all the Christmas stuff goes on sale. I get that. And and there's nothing we can do about it. Um, what bothers me is, I, I guess the, the, the biggest thing that bothers me is, okay, that's the commercial side of it, but there is a realistic and a, a full, powerful reality side to the fact that men and women and dogs and animals served our country through many different wars. And when I see people and I hear people 
wanting to put their tree up in October and wanting to put their tree up at the beginning of November, the first of November tree goes up, lights start going up. It really frosts my ass. If, if people are that hog wild crazy to go and start celebrating and, and participating in Christmas, you know what? Remembrance day hasn't even happened yet. November the 11th, is the day around the world, not just our country, not just our continent. It's around the damn world where people stop and they remember all of the stuff that has happened through war and all of the wars since the beginning of, of men remembering, basically the beginning of, of countries separating and, and starting to put their, their uh, armies together. I march every remembrance day i i meet up with some of my old friends from my battalion i meet up with new and and different guys that are are 80 years old and guys that are at 20 years old and and got injured in early in their career and and can't can't uh, stay in the military or have a light duty or whatever it is and um i honestly feel that it's a little disrespectful to all of the people and all of the, the, the beings that have served our country or any other country to start celebrating Christmas and start participating in Christmas before the world has an opportunity to take a moment and pause and remember. I go to the cenotaph, I lay a wreath. I go to the cenotaph and I, I listen to all the stories that the, the speakers have and, and talk about. Um, around the world, people have the day off for a reason. It's a way to unite everybody. And I, I, I've talked about this with all kinds of my friends over the years. And, and it's the same topic. And now I finally get to vent and, and say that, you know what, people, give it a breast, take a break. Christmas isn't going anywhere. It's coming anyways. And you want to do all your displays and your lights and your trees and whatever it is you want to do. That's fine. Uh, like we're getting set up to do our Christmas right away here as well. We are buying lights. We're buying um, new ornaments. We're, we're putting up new, uh, new, new um, decorations out on the front lawn. Like I love Christmas and, and I, and I've struggled with Christmas for a lot of years, I, I've, I've been depressed for, I don't know, the better part of eight, 10, I've been depressed for Christmas for about 11 years and, and have not really put much time into celebrating it, not decorating no tree because I was spending Christmas alone. And even my son, because my, my youngest child um, splits his time between his mother and I, and you know, if he was coming up, I, I would, put up some garland it was terrible and i feel terrible about it but i still have the same sense for the people that i served this country with i um, i left my home in 1982 and i took off and i joined the army and since 1982 i have marched every single year since oh, excuse me i do apologize it's been a very long day um, and when I march, when I go and stand downtown, either Victoria or up Island, I, I was in uh, Bowser. I've done it in Courtney. 
um, Vancouver, whatever city I've been in and I've gone to March, it has meant the world to me to stand with guys that you consider your brother because they've got your back. If something happens to you in battle, you, you trust that they have you, that they're going to protect you, that if anything comes from any kind of enemy, they're going to make sure that you're safe or do whatever they can to tr- at least try to make you safe. And those people, those brothers and sisters and the, the, the animals that have supported um, the men and women throughout the years in battle, to protect our country, to give us the very freedom that we have every time we wake up. We live in a free country in Canada. People live in a free country in the United States, and there's many other countries around the world that it, it it's the freedom that they have because of the unfortunate battles that have happened. And I, I ask everybody every year, anyone that's connected to me, a friend or an acquaintance or a family, I ask them all please don't put your stuff up until the 11th, at least wait until the 12th. And, and quite honestly, in the last couple of years, my friends and family have, you know, graced me with that, that honor and said, okay, you know what? I understand. I get it now because I explained it to them in a way that they got it. So long story short, um, I feel very strongly about it. I'm never going to be angry at anybody for doing it, but I, I do have a sense of disappointment for anybody that starts their Christmas stuff before we have an opportunity to stand along with our brothers and sisters and the animals that have served our countries around the world. Give everybody a minute. Take a moment. Think about maybe not doing your Christmas until after we've had an opportunity to remember all of the fallen and the people that are still alive, including myself. I fought desperately to get into the military. I trained and trained and trained and trained. And and at the time that I was in, uh, we were in the Cold War. So I couldn't really go out. There wasn't a battle for me to fight, but I was ready to do what I needed to do. And that's, that's, that's my grief. That's my grime. That's what I bitch about. And that's my story tonight. Thank you for listening. Thank Very you. nice. Thank you. That's all so, I got, Brian. So your Remembrance Day is kind of like our Memorial Day, yeah? Yes, sir. November the 11th. You guys have a Memorial Day. We have what we call uh, Remembrance Day. Okay, that's kind of what I thought. I, yeah, my my dad was kind of like that. He he always he always taught me that uh, every day is Memorial Day, every day is Veterans Day, and for us, every day is the Fourth of July. <laughs> well, I get it. You got to you got to live every day uh, to the fullest, and I understand that. But that that that's. That's just my pet peeve is people that start their Christmas before the world has a chance to remember. Believe me, I understand. Uh, I don't, if I deck, I haven't decorated for Christmas for years and years, but I would never Mm -hmm. do it until pretty, actually pretty close to Christmas. Right. 
Okay. Well, that that's kind of where I'm at. And, and, um, it's hard to get people to feel the way I feel. And I, I can't force my thoughts or opinions on anybody. I simply try to put my, my feelings out there. And if people care to fall by it, then they fall by it. If they don't, they don't. And, and that's just the way it is. It's like I say, it's a free country. It's a free world in our perspective, but, um, it's, uh, it's just something that I, I, I come with, stumble across. I've stumbled across it today. Uh, one of the guys I work with wanted to put his tree up when he got home. So did one of the ladies in the office. So there it's you go. It's a show That's... of respect to wait till after the 11th. Um, respect to all the veterans that fought. And I want to thank you, Mark, for your, for your dedication to the country and fighting for the country, for Canada. Well, thank you. Um, I appreciate yes, it. Yes, thank you. I uh, I don't like it when I go to Costco in August and see Christmas stuff out already. Um, I think they could wait. I don't. I don't see why they couldn't wait till after Remembrance Day. But of, I understand Mighty Dollar and it's all business. But um, the rest of us that didn't fight in the or join military could show respect by waiting till after the eleventh to put up all the Christmas stuff. I won't say another right. word. But um, <laughs> <laughs> few choice words. But uh, you know what? Oh, sorry, Corinne. Go ahead. No, that's okay. Go ahead. We unfortunately have become a commercialized society. Halloween, they're saying now, is actually bigger than Christmas because of all the stuff that's put out, and it's unfortunate. And uh, once again, I, I also thank you for your service as well, Mark. But this is the type of society we've become. We've become politically correct. We've become, oh, don't, 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 don't get the foreigners upset. Don't, don't say anything negative. Trust me, I've gone through it this week. And I could completely relate to this, what Mark's saying. And I agree. I agree. November 11th should be Remembrance Day. And after that, go crazy. Throw in the Santa balls and the jingles and whatever. But before November, November 11th, seriously, F off, like, you know, leave the shit alone. I agree. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you're not getting any arguments here. So anybody else got anything to add to that? I just wanted to say, I find it disappointing too, that, um, all the, all the veterans fought for us and we seem to be losing our freedom in our own country now. No Thanks. kidding. Same down here. It's bloody awful. The two yeah. leaders that are leading the, the states in Canada right now, the leaders of our, uh, that's a totally different subject. I'm not going to get into politics, but anyways, I, I really appreciate you guys letting me have my moment and stay my bit. I mean, I, I want to come up and, and say something positive next time, but uh, <laughs> today it just, it, I, I ran into it, it. I hit it head on and it's just, it, it frosted my ass and, so yeah, I, I I needed to talk about it. So you're allowed to there you go. Well, I agree, Mark, and that's why we have a platform for you know my road crew to voice their opinions on. A lot of podcasts out there do not let their panel uh, voice their opinions. It's uh, basically you like my way or it's the highway. Well, I'm happy to say that your host here lets you have free reign to a certain degree, okay? Um, especially when we get J-Man the Snarl on, then we, we gotta always put the reins on him. And GM Blacktop, who's not here tonight, well, 
he's just a wild horse that's still you know trying to get out of the 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 uh, the, the uh, stable. There we go. Okay, so we're going to go into a fist song, and we get back. Corinne's going to tell you about the death of Matthew Perry and his life from, uh, you know, friends to uh, trying to have a career. And my gosh, that guy had such a troubled life. So we'll get into that. But first, I want to play a classic from Fist on Highway Freaks. It's just called Fly.
Okay, we're back. And uh, by the way, this is visit number 53, I might add. Well, Corinne, I'm uh, definitely looking forward to hearing uh, what happened here with Matthew Perry. It was a shock to everybody this week, and I'll let you take it away. Thank you, Braga. Yes, this past weekend, we all lost a dear friend very unexpectedly. Um, I was shocked as well when I saw the post on Facebook that Matthew Perry had died. At first, I thought it was one of those scam posts that you see uh, on Facebook and, and receive in Messenger, but unfortunately and sadly, it was not a scam. Um, so Matthew Perry passed away October 28th at the young age of 54. When I started uh, researching his life for tonight's podcast, it was a, a real eye-opener to all of the movies and TV shows he had been in, and sadly to the extent of the battles he had with addiction. Matthew was born August 19, 1969 in Williamstown, Massachusetts. His mother, Suzanne, is a journalist and was a press secretary to former Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau. His dad, John Perry, was an actor and former model. Matthew's parents split up when he was one year old, and uh, then his mother uh, married Canadian broadcast journalist uh, Keith Morrison. Most of Matthew's childhood was spent growing up in Ottawa with short periods of time in Toronto and Montreal. As a preteen, Matthew started to be a little bit of a rebel. He started stealing and letting his grades slip in school. Apparently, he was a bit of a bully. And he even beat up fellow student, now the current Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau. As a teen, Matthew was a top-rated junior tennis player with a future to succeed in the sport. At the age of 15, he moved to Los Angeles to live with his father. While in high school, Matthew studied acting and took improvisational comedy classes with the intention to attend university after graduating high school. But he was bitten by the acting bug and started auditioning for acting roles. The offers started coming in while he was in high school and never stopped. His early roles included guest spots in Charles in Charge, Silver Spoons, Boys Will Be Boys, Growing Pains, and Beverly Hills 90210. In 1994, a sitcom, Six of One, was casting actors for its pilot. Matthew had committed to another show's pilot and was not available. When this original commitment fell through, he read for the part of Chandler Bing and was offered the role. Six of One was later renamed Friends. Friends ran for 10 years, from 1994 to 2004, catapulting all six actors and actresses to fame. Matthew also worked on other acting projects during the 10-year run with Friends. These titles included Fools Rush In, Three to Tango, The Whole Nine Yards, and its sequel, The Whole Ten Yards, the West Wing, Ally McBeal, and the comedy series Scrubs. The decision to end Friends in 2004 came about from the idea that the characters had grown up. It was time for all of them to move on from the famous apartment building they all lived in together. Matthew's acting success continued after Friends' fame with parts in movies, TV, and theater. These titles include Numb, 17 Again, which was actually his last film role, the Good Wife, The Odd Couple, The Good Fight, and of course, The Friends Reunion in 2021. 
Matthew received many acting nominations for his work on Friends and for his roles in projects outside of the Friends umbrella. The majority of the awards he won were a result of his work on Friends as Chandler Bing. In the background, while Matthew's acting career was soaring, he was fighting a battle with addictions resulting in numerous health issues which almost ended his life a number of times. He admitted to being an alcoholic at the age of 14. After a jet ski accident in 1997, Matthew became addicted to Vicodin and entered a rehab program at the Hazelden Betty Ford Foundation. In 2018, his opioid and alcohol addiction caused his colon to burst, putting him into a coma and almost claimed his life. A few years later, his heart stopped after being given the anesthetic propofol for a surgery. CPR revived him, leaving him with eight broken ribs. His addiction was so strong that while in rehab in Switzerland, he faked pain to receive doses of ketamine and OxyContin. In 2022, his book, Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing, a memoir, Matthew estimated he had spent $9 million trying to get sober. He had 14 stomach surgeries, 15 rounds in rehab, therapy twice a week for 30 years, and attended thousands of AA meetings. In 2013, Matthew converted his own beachfront Malibu home into a sober living facility for alcoholic men. The house was given the name the Perry House. Even in the midst of his own addiction battles, Matthew was ready to help anyone who asked for help with their addiction struggles. Sadly, in 2015, the Perry House was closed due to high operation costs with it being a beachfront Malibu property. Preliminary reports say that Matthew drowned in his hot tub in his home. His assistant had left to run some errands and on return found Matthew unresponsive. An autopsy has been done, but it could be months before an official cause of death is released. And the most current update states that the cause of death has been deferred pending further investigation. And of course, because of Matthew's past struggles with addictions, there are speculations flying from every direction that he broke his current 18 months of sobriety. In my research, I came across a couple of interesting comments I'd like to share. Uh, the first one was that um, one of Matthew's teachers told him that he would never amount to anything if he kept joking around and getting into trouble. So the first time Matthew made the cover of People magazine, he sent a copy of it to that teacher. The second one was last November, during a promotional appearance, Matthew said, I would like to be remembered as somebody who lived well, loved well, was a seeker. And his paramount thing is that he wants to help people. That's what I want. He added, when I die, I don't want friends to be the first thing that's mentioned. I want helping other addicts to be the first thing that's mentioned, and I'm going to live the rest of my life proving that. So quite a, quite a sad story and very, I, I didn't realize he went through this much um, with his addictions and health issues resulting from the addictions and all the drugs he was taking. Now, does anybody have any stories to share about Matthew, Matthew Perry? I love Matthew Perry. He's still one of my idols. I'm, I was so sad to hear that he passed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was definitely it's, shocking. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned the uh, reunion. I watched the reunion. I just watched it again here recently. Mm -hmm. And you can see in the reunion, he didn't talk as much as everybody else. 
and the little bit that he did talk, you look at him, his skin was gray, even though they go through makeup before they come out, his skin was gray, his eyes didn't look right, his mouth looked like it was uh, a little bit fallen. Um, he he did not look healthy at all. And I've made a comment to a couple of people about it the, that watched that reunion. And after they went and watched it again, they agreed, yeah, he, he doesn't look good. And he didn't. The pictures I've seen on the internet of him lately, he didn't look well at all. But um, no. I, I can't believe the amount, the amount of drugs he was taking um, that I, I don't know how his body didn't shut down ages ago. Like, I think he, there was one point he was taking 55 Vicodins a day. Good Lord. Like, how does a body survive that? Well, my sister, my baby sister, both of my sisters were drug addicts. My baby sister OD'd uh, back in 99, and I'm, I'm very familiar with addicts and what they go through and how much they can absorb when they get really, really hooked. It, it's mm-hmm. terrifying. It's absolutely mm-hmm. terrifying. Yeah, the human body has a tendency to just, especially when you're taking them that much, it'll just it'll just it'll get used to that that being in your system and it'll get to actually to the point where you just can't take enough like i understand you build up immunity and you need a stronger dose but to take 55 of them in a day uh, and keep Mm -hmm. doing that day after day just is mind-boggling for me Yeah. yeah it happens Okay, so the, the thing that I remember about Matthew Perry was his comedic timing. And um, a lot of people uh, didn't realize how good he could deliver a line. The one that I remember the most from the Friends episode is when he was stuck on the elevator in that blackout path uh, where you know he was stuck with that playmate and he's talking to himself and, and making these really goofy uh, uh, motions to her. And uh, I'm sure you recall that, some of you guys did. Oh yeah, the episode name was the one with the blackout. So the city went all black, and it was right. not an elevator. It was an ATM machine place where he went to withdraw money. And then there was another girl there who was waiting. But then suddenly the light goes off, and they both stuck in that room. So I remember right. then. Yeah, that was one of that. That episode is known for one of the best one from Chandler's side in the Friends. From that oh, season, he was you know, hilarious, especially yeah, when he's he chewing the gum and he's choking on the gum and she has to give him the, the Heimlich oh, yeah, ma- maneuver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? You know, I don't know. He, I, he was definitely one of my favorites from Friends. I mean, they were all great, but uh, he just had that uh, that knack. And then, of course, the, the you know, the, the absolute uh, friendship that he had with uh, Matt LeBlanc was definitely, you could see it right on screen. You know they were that close so it is a very sad loss and to uh to have that happen because of a disease such as uh, alcoholism or drugs is is just as worse to to know that that that's what took his life at such a young age anybody else remember any friends episodes they want to talk about one that was mentioned um i listened to sea fox out of vancouver in the morning the morning show um they brought up the one where they were trying to get the coach upstairs into the apartment oh, yeah. and yelling right. <laughs> and right. um, that yeah. one was pretty good they played just the audio of it on the radio and that was pretty funny brings back memories it was funny 
Yeah, no, it was, it was, it's a sad loss for sure. So, um, so as usual, Corinne, another great job. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So we're going to play another fist song. And then when we get back, ghost hunter, Greg, he's going to tell us what's on his mind from Indiana tonight. But right now we're going out here on the desert from fist on Highway Freaks.
want to thank you again for having me on i had a great time last week with the halloween show and i know people that have listened to it and my family and friends really enjoyed it so and since we're talking about tragic deaths we'll we'll have to start with one we had here yesterday in indiana and that's the the loss of legendary indiana university basketball coach bobby knight at uh 83 uh of course one of the greatest greatest basketball coaches of of all time and definitely a big loss but uh, i think uh brian wanted me this week i mean last week i talked about uh my ghost hunting days and uh he wanted to hear some about my my days as a firefighter um as a firefighter emt slash paramedic for 32 years um it again started started when i was very young with my dad uh he was on the local volunteer fire department and was an emergency medical technician and worked on on the county ambulance for several years and as i got older probably i think the first fire run i went on with him i was maybe five and it was a it was a house fire and uh i guess I guess it got into my blood, like just like it does in a, a lot of families. Um, I probably started actually running with the fire department and starting my training when I was maybe 15 years old. Again, it was a volunteer fire department, so there weren't really that many age restrictions. I guess I was doing it uh, just, like I said, learning hanging around at the fire station, learning from all the guys that have been there for a while and, and building my chops and just continued on and on and on for years. Uh, the fire department grew and things changed and I stayed with it. And then I became an emergency medical technician and began working for the county ambulance and, uh, did that for many, many years. Um, I, I, I enjoyed working on the ambulance. I enjoyed some of the people I met. And then as, as time grew on, it became more and more of a real pain. People started, started misusing the ambulance service. We became, as I called it, a glorified taxi. I mean, when you would, you would get called at two or three o'clock in the morning for, somebody who believed they were having a heart attack and they meet you at the front door with their bags packed and smoking a cigarette and, and, uh, waiting on you just kind of, yeah, why don't you just call a cab? Cause there obviously wasn't that much wrong with you. I know that sounds bad, but that's kind of the way you get. And eventually I just, I got to the point where I just felt like I was just grabbing people and taking them to the hospital and slugging them in the door. And I guess I lost, I lost my, my caring for people more and more. So kind of got away from the EMS part of it and stuck with the fire part of it. And hours of training. I, I, I couldn't tell you how many hours of training I went through over the years. It, it's things change so much in the service that you, that you have to, continually have ongoing education for for different things um 
and I kind of got back into EMS, not necessarily working on the ambulance, but with the fire department, we started running more and more and more emergency medical calls. It was probably 90 to 92% of our calls yearly were, were medical runs running in support of the ambulance service. And then I eventually I got into actually teaching emergency medicine, which I really, really did enjoy. Um, had a great, great time doing that for the years I was, I was in that, um, man, stories, probably the worst question anybody can ask somebody who's a first responder, a firefighter, EMT, or police officer is, oh, you know, what's, what's the worst call you ever went on? It's, it's so subjective to, to who you're talking to. And, and I mean, I've seen, I've seen things that will just scare most people. And I've seen things that, you know, were, were wonderful. I, I actually got to deliver a baby. That was one of my, one of the highlights I had. Um, I think I had about 13 or 14 cardiac arrest saves, a bunch of respiratory arrest saves. Um, so a lot of people still walking around, I guess, because of hang me. Hang on, hang on. You, you delivered a baby. So we're going to call you baby hunter Greg now? If you want to, yeah, I delivered a baby in the back of the ambulance. Uh, I want to hear about it. Tell tell us about it. Everybody wants to hear it, right, guys? Definitely. It it uh, yeah, it's not all nice and clean and pretty like on TV. It's a mess. It's not really. No, no it's it's a mess. It makes you now you know why I don't have kids. <laughs> So, come on, give us a play-by-play. -play. We don't need all the graphic details, but, you know, some somewhat. I got called a lot of bad names, and <laughs> the baby came out in the story. Did they name the baby after you? Oh, of course not. <laughs> I, don't think oh. they I don't think they would name the baby, you rotten bastard. <laughs> right. <laughs> Seriously, eh? It's not exactly what you see in the movies. Wow, go figure. No, and you you were you were talking about TV shows, fire TV shows, Chicago Fire. Honestly, I don't watch. Um, it's like the movie Backdraft. Do you guys remember that one? Oh yeah, great movie. Horrible movie. Really? It, Why? It's just it's it's a movie. That's just it. The, all the fire scenes. Where's the smoke, dude? Okay. What what other uh, critical things can you point out? It's just it's just over glamorized. It's as in I mean as in most TV shows like that are you know unless you're unless you're watching like cops or actual true to life TV shows. Yeah, they have a tendency to to kind of over over dramatize over glamorize and and yeah but well, yeah the, have all that smoke because then you wouldn't see anything on the show yeah exactly but uh yeah being in a being in a burning building is it's dark it's hot it's just 
it's not like it is unless you're watching, like I said, a true honest to goodness, you know, live filming kind of TV show movies and stuff. Yeah, just don't do it. That sounds terrifying. Eh. Yeah. What eh, about yeah. Greg? What about uh because this is the very first one that came out, and they said the realism on this show was so well done that it actually increased the ability to hire paramedics in Los Angeles. So you know what's what I'm talking about? Emergency. The original Emergency with Gage and DeSoto. Do you recall that one? Oh, yeah. I recall that one. IVD5WTKO with lactator drinkers. Send him a strip. Exactly. Very well said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Rampart. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know. Kryn, is that uh, is that part of uh, your history? Emergency? I recall it, but I like the name, but not. Uh, I couldn't tell you what what it was about or anything. I don't remember that well, part. It, it's excellent. It is. And, and uh, actually, um, Randolph Mantooth who uh, played Johnny Gage, went on to actually do stuff with the fire department. So, Greg, there's a great topic for you uh, later on, is to do a, a biography on Randall, Randolph Mantooth, because th that is actually a really cool story. I still remember the call letters, dude. KMG365. And I still remember the squad, 51. Yeah, it was... Squad 51, Engine 51, uh, Station 51. The story, the story, Corinne, was, uh, it was, what was it, in the 70s, I guess? It was. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. It, it was probably. It was Los Angeles County Fire Department is what it was. And that station actually does exist. It wasn't 51, but but it's still there. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a great show. It really is. It's funny because you you know you look at it and some of the stuff that they're you know they they're they're doing like you know the uh, the phones and and running the you know the the ticker tape there and the uh, in the hospital right. I mean it is it is really kind of comical. But back then it was very realistic. My dad designed fire trucks for uh, King Seagrave, and he got us hooked on that show completely hooked and we watched that thing every week like religion buddy and uh i actually got to the point where i i when i realized that i could get it on dvd on amazon i bought the series and uh i just watched it when i was on the big rig there recently and it was hilarious but at the same token there was a lot of realism into it so uh you know i i think it was a good show so that's why i thought it was worth mentioning. yeah yeah it was it was a good show um, you're talking about, you know, sending the strip, the telemetry and all that kind of stuff that, yes. that they did that for quite a while. And then it kind of, it kind of shifted away, especially when, when paramedicine became more and more, a paramedic is basically right now. And especially in a lot of States is right underneath a doctor and they're out there on the ambulance. So they, you know, we were trained to be able to read our own strips and to, you would have certain protocols that you would you would give certain medications for certain things at certain times and and it's so a, a lot of the paramedic training is two and a half to three years of pretty pretty hardcore studying but uh yeah yeah uh story fire stories man i can't 
here's here's an EMS story that I can tell you that, that I don't know if anybody on here uh, listens to a guy named Donut Operator. He's a he's an ex police officer who has a he has a YouTube channel and podcasts and so forth. He uh, put out on Facebook one day for for gross stories, and uh, it was mainly for gross police stories. But I said, hey, you know, I'm not a police officer, but here's my story. He actually ended up reading it on his, on his YouTube channel. Uh, we got called for chest pains, possible heart attack. And, uh, we were, we were a paramedic service. So we used EKGs and all that kind of good stuff. And we got there and this woman is pushing 500 pounds big. And, uh, so you can guess what, her top look like. Um, one of our protocols was we had to do a 12 lead EKG. So one of my jobs was to put the leads and there's multiple leads that you have to put on across the front and on her back and on your shoulders and, and different places. So I had to lift her left breast up. <laughs> I can see Corinne's laughing. She knows what I'm, what I'm talking about. Yeah, I used to be a lab tech. Yeah. So I had to lift her rather large left breast up to put to put the electrodes on. And underneath her uh, left breast was half of a moldy grilled cheese sandwich. <laughs> oh, dear. Saving now, that for later, was she? She, yeah, her first thing was, I said, uh, what's this? And she's like, oh, I was wondering where that went. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it had been wow. there for, it, it had been there for quite some time. And again, things, I didn't have kids and I don't eat grilled cheese. Oh my goodness. So it's things like that, that you see on occasion, um, man, fire stories. I really can't think of any, any real super good ones because they're all so different. Um, we did it. We did everything. Being a volunteer department, we we not only fought fires. Like I said, we did a, we did medical calls. We ran rescue for car accidents, um, people that were lost in the woods. Just the myriad of 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 firework and uh, rescue work we did it all so that's again that goes back to just the vast amount of training that was required to to uh do this and like i said i did it for 32 years <clears throat> i i uh, retired in 2015 after i had my first heart attack and i've had two of them and i'm in i'm in eh, early light stages of congestive heart failure so yeah. that's kind of the kind of one of the reasons i had to get out to it i miss it every time i hear the fire trucks go by i'm like oh man i just kind of want to run I, I i don't miss the politics involved i don't miss a lot of the a lot of the de things we had to deal with because you know we when we dealt with people it was usually some of the some of the worst times in their lives um but uh, I, I miss the brotherhood. I miss I miss hanging out at the fire station with 
with the guys, you know, and, and doing things for the community. We used to always do, of course, pancake breakfasts and spaghetti suppers. And we did, we did a huge fireworks show for many, many, many years. And, uh, yeah, I, I do, I do indeed miss it. I really do. Well, I know one thing I'm not going to miss is eating a grilled cheese sandwich anytime soon. Yeah, and especially one with flop sweat. Oh. 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 Yeah, when you're speaking of when you're speaking of brotherhood, I just we just caught the new Frasier. And um I don't know if you saw it yet. It's really good. It's really, really well done. And um Frasier's uh son, Freddie, has grown up and he is now a firefighter. And uh it explains, uh, you know, because Frazier kind of throws his job to the side, thinking it's not that important. And then in the very end, Frazier's going, oh, don't worry about it. I, you know, I'm taking care of everything. And he's all worried because he realizes that his job is much more important than just rescuing a cat. So, um, yeah, I thought I'd mention that. But, yeah, you uh, definitely have changed my opinions on grilled cheese sandwiches. So uh, thank you very much for that, Greg. Oh, of course, you're welcome. Like I said, I could I could tell you some pretty some pretty oh. crazy stuff, but well, uh, we we that's what you, that's where you're coming on for the next podcast and the next one and the next one. We're just gonna drain your brain, buddy. Oh, there's a lot there to drain. He, he, I didn't really go into. I mean, I'm a jack of all trades and a and an expert in none. So I've been a cook. I've been a firefighter. I've been, I've, I've done everything you can imagine. So. Right. Right. Okay. So anybody else got any questions? Have you got any questions for Greg? So once he said about the pregnancy thing, I'm like, Nope, everything is clear right now. You know? <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it, when you, like when I went through paramedic training, we had to, we had to do it in the hospital. So you're in a quasi, you're in a clean, sterile situation there, but man, in the back of an ambulance traveling down the road, shaking back and forth, a kind of, yeah, I, I, no. I do want to ask you about one question, Greg. I, I got the job at uh, Animal Hospital. I used to be the receptionist, but whenever they run short on staff, they always ask my help in the back of the clinic. So I went there once and when he cut the dog open in front of me, I become from brown to yellow. I sit on the ground and like, I'm done. All I have to see, I saw. And after, I think third or fourth day left that job. I was like, nope, I, I can do it. And watching a human, oh my God, it's like way more harder than an animal, you know? So no, I see now I couldn't do animals. There's no way I could do animals. Right. Humans, not a problem. Like, what's the difference with animals and humans? Like, I would say animals are easier compared to humans. I, it's just, I'm a, I'm a dog person. I'm a cat person. So I don't know how to explain it. It's just. I think that so was one of the reasons just... why I left that thing, you know, because I, I love the dogs. For a moment. Okay. I wanted to ask Greg about, and you always see this every time. You see it on TV, you see in the Westerns, somebody gets bit by a rattlesnake and you see what they do. What is the true way for our freaks out there? Because, I mean, obviously there's some people in the warm climates that's, that are dealing with that. What is the true way to deal with a rattlesnake bite? 
Well, they used to have uh, snake bite kits. Uh, sucking the venom out? No, sorry, you're gonna die. Um, but it came with a it came with a kind of a bulb syringe that you would actually you would find the bite location, cut it with a razor blade, and then it's a it's almost like a remember I don't know if you've seen the cupping the Japanese thing where they do cupping it looks kind of like that but it's a kind of like a bulb syringe which is with a bigger wider mouth on it and you'd actually put that on and and it would suck but those went away pretty quick when they just realized yeah you're really not doing anything any good it's basically the the way you deal with it now is you stabilize them uh you do your protocols which is a it's a book it basically tells you step to step what your doctor wants you to do and uh you get them to the hospital and and hopefully they have anti-venom there so so the tourniquet doesn't work. Eh, no, not really. Um, It'd be more dangerous, wouldn't it? Are you not cutting off the blood flow? Yeah, exactly. That that is the problem. Tourniquets. We use tourniquets for for severe bleeding. Um, uh, so yeah, it it just it. You know, by the time you would maybe get there, or somebody got bit by it. Usually, people that get bit by snakes, they're they're way away from the road, so it takes some time to get to them. So by the time you get there, drive time, whatever, it's already through their system. Your blood flows a lot faster than than most people realize. Okay, so in addition to that, you and I have pit bulls. What if they got bit? Is their chance of living not very good, Greg? Uh you'd be surprised. Uh I've I've seen plenty of stories of of dogs who have who have fought off rattlesnakes and copperheads and so forth to uh to save their their masters so to speak. Um if you can get them to a to a veterinarian who has who has antivenom, I'm guessing they can give dogs antivenom. But yeah, they could just have as good a chance as any, but you know, still you just got to kind of watch out for them too. That is my biggest fear with bandit on the truck. Cause he's such a lovable guy. He likes meeting everything in his path when we walk. And he honestly, he would walk up to a freaking alligator and try to shake paws with it. Like I'm serious. He is that friendly. And if he saw a snake, he wouldn't know what the hell to do. And that one just scares the, the living shit out of me because uh, I, I couldn't lose him uh, to something like that. So that's always my biggest concern. So I'm, I'm glad you kind of somewhat uh, helped my query. Yeah. You still just you got to watch out for the boy, man. You never you never know. I I keep a pretty close eye on Trucky when he's out walking around, and he he generally he's he's good about not wandering away if I'm not out there with him. He won't go in the woods if I'm not with him. He stays kind of in my yard, and I pretty much know that chances of a snake being out in the middle of my yard is pretty slim. They usually like right. to like to hang out where it's a little bit cooler and a little bit quieter. And, and a lot of times they're, they're more scared of you than you are of them. They'll, they'll hear you coming and take off. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Cause uh, I had a very good friend in Texas that lost his dog to a copperhead 
and uh, it was pretty instantaneous. The dog died right there in the backyard. So yeah, probably, um, probably, probably took a pretty good bite. I got bit by a copperhead when I was, I don't know, sixteen or seventeen. It made me <gasps> made me really sick for a day, but other than that, didn't didn't do much of anything. Wow, wow, I can honestly say I've never been bit by a snake. So, um, yeah, Corinne, you got anything to add to the, Greg's final topic? Um, well, I just wanted to admire those that are firefighters, EMTs, and, and police force. Um, they go through, they deal with a lot. I have a friend, a good friend, that uh, she's an EMT uh, here in Nanaimo. And uh, she's told me a few things. I see what she, she goes through. I do her gardening, and I was cleaning for her, so we touch bases uh, once or twice a month. And uh, for her, because she's also a motorcyclist, her toughest calls to deal with is uh, motorcycle accidents. And uh, she, she's had suffered PTSD because of it. And uh, she also stopped going on group rides because anytime some little thing would happen, you know, if somebody had a crash or whatever, they would just expect her to fix it all because she was an EMT. I mean, she doesn't, she knows what to do and carries first aid kit, but she said that extra stress, like she's trying to de-stress by going on a motorcycle ride and it just ramped her up because everybody would just turn to her for every little thing. So she stopped riding in the groups. Yeah. I, I, I rode for, I rode for quite some time. And, uh, uh one of my, one of the runs I can really, really remember was, uh, was a car versus motorcycle and it was just it was chaos what had happened was this guy was just out riding having a great time and uh, a couple of kids in a car decided they were gonna they were gonna go hot riding and race each other and uh they ended up topping a hill and hit this guy in the motorcycle head <gasps> and uh. just just obliterated him and the car kept traveling for quite quite a ways, ended up going off the road and turning over. I can remember pulling up. The ambulance was already there. They were down with the car. They'd pulled the girl, who was the passenger of the vehicle, out, and they were doing CPR on her. The car was on fire, looked up the road probably probably 75 to 100 yards, the whole, both sides of the road are on fire. The highway's on fire. The motorcycle's wow. on fire. And the guy that was on the motorcycle is on fire. So just absolute chaos. So, of course, he ended up dying. The girl ended up dying. I, I don't remember legal-wise what happened to the driver. I think he ended up doing a short bit of time because of technicalities. I don't remember. But they, they hit him. They were probably doing 75 to 80 miles an hour. Wow. All over goofing around. Yeah, all over being stupid. Yeah. All right, Greg. That was good. That was very good. And uh, I uh, don't know about the grilled cheese sandwich bit, but I definitely have been thinking twice next time I have one of those, especially with ketchup. Yeah! Uh, oh, oh, no. <laughs> all right so from the new album alive here's our house band fist and everything's come 
and gone.
Hey there, Highway Freaks. It's Tony B. Uh, how y'all doing? Hopefully well. Tonight, I'm going to talk about, I'd like to find out more from you guys about how many hours a day is a driver allowed to drive. And I wanted to tell you the story of what happened to me on the civic holiday weekend. It was a Friday night. 2008, where I had an accident with a transport trailer. <gasps> yeah. So basically, now, way back in the 80s, I recalled the number of hours to be 12 hours. But when I Googled it, they're saying in the 80s, it, it wasn't that. Um, it, it was 13 hours. And today's day and age, it's... 13 hours driving, 14 hours on call. So, so yeah. So it was that long weekend and I was at my uh, work. I stayed late uh, because it was month end and I'm an accountant. And I, instead of taking the city streets home, I went and hopped on the highway. It was like rush hour city. At six o'clock, I made it to the QEW in Trafalgar. At that time, now, because I was rear-ended when I was 16, for the last four decades, okay, I've been forever looking in my rearview mirror to make sure people are stopping, you know? I'm paranoid, totally paranoid. Anyway, that day, I looked back in my rearview mirror and I heard a transport trailer truck rev up his gas it the truck jumped up in the air onto the highway and he started barreling towards us <gasps> when we were at a dead halt and, and i was beeping my horn trying to get his attention in the end of the day he veered out of his lane into mine rode off my beautiful chrysler 300m 99 model, which was the sporty model. I, I love that car. It was paid off. I paid $805 a month for four years for that car. It was dingless. It was in mint condition. And he was two inches away from grinding my body. So I guess I was kind of lucky, you know? But at the same time, nobody got in trouble over it. It was a no fault, no fault, whatever. But I got the story from the truck driver helper. And this is what happened. The driver, he called his dispatch and said, look, we're in Oakville. There's no way we're going to be able to deliver the furniture tonight in St. Catharines. We're going to spend the night and deliver it in the morning. Well, the dispatch said, oh, no, you can't stay there overnight. You have to deliver it tonight and you have to make your way back to Montreal. He told me that they were on the road at 4 a.m. in Montreal and it was 6 p.m. here in Ontario. So uh, yeah, that's what happened. And that's why he got really ticked off and had road rage. And that's what happened to me in 2008. You guys have any questions? Okay, so um, in regards to that, Tony, uh, basically it's, it's 13 hours that you can drive in Canada 
it's not a perfect world. It's not a perfect science. It never has been. It never will be. And um, what normally takes a four-wheeler such as you, Greg, or a two-wheeler such as you, Corinne, uh, you know, to do 100 miles, as a good example, takes us an hour and a half, where you could probably do it in 100 miles in what, 45 minutes to an hour? Yeah, depending on your speed. Well, I'm governed at the wonderful speed of 62 miles of an hour, 62 miles an hour, which I've repeatedly said is ridiculous. Um, I can even go far as, so far as to say that I actually got shit by my employer for doing four miles down a mountain. I'm dead serious. Four miles what? over 62, which is 68, and the speed limit was 70. That's how ridiculous trucking can be. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, it's, that's insane. It's, it's insane. Yes, it truly is. So, um, and that's why your Bry guy will probably be a lease operator before the end of the year. So I can almost guarantee you that. But enough about my frustrations. Uh, anybody else want to add to that? Uh, uh, Pav, you did some trucking. Anything you want to add to that? I used to be the local guy. You know, I never went on a long route. The longest route I used to do, I used to be from Vancouver to Whistler or Chilliwack or Kelowna. And we have no cap, so we can go as fast as we want. So, but, but in a good way, I'm not saying in a bad way, we used to do like speeding or anything, but yeah, from my side, I always drive normally and never have any issue, but from the right. other perspective that you guys used to drive, that's totally different, right? Going to America and coming back. No, I don't think I even have enough information to even comment on that, you know? Right. Just another day at the office for me. Um, I have a you know, yeah, go ahead. So when you guys are, the truckers are driving for companies, obviously they, they regulate um, your speed, distance, all that stuff. Um, and if you, your owner operator, your own uh, rig, you, well, okay, within limit, you can do whatever speed you want and spend however many hours you want driving, or is no, that incorrect? No, absolutely not. No, you're, uh, you're governed usually as an owner operator at 65, Yeah, well, generally. the um, speed limit. Yeah. Yeah. 65 miles per hour, I talk about. And you're still governed by the logbook rules of driving 13 hours in Canada, and you can drive 11 hours in the United States. See, um, and actually, mm -hmm. I got to correct you on that. It's not a 14 hour shift, it's a 16 hour shift in Canada. And in the, the United States, it's a 14 hour shift. So, so who uh, looks in your logbook it, when you're an, your own owner operator? Everything's monitored on on electric electronic logs, Corinne. So okay. they get they get every day they get everything that's recordable. Everything, everything from a hard break to a critical event to following too close. Um, unfortunately, there's this new radar system that's that's come in in the last better part of ten years, and some of these companies get huge huge kickbacks from the insurance company. And I will be going into this on a, a future topic about how ridiculous it is because it's actually not safe, it's actually dangerous. And I'll give you one good example. The company that I work for has a radar system where if you, um, let's say the uh, car in front of you pulls up in front of you, the truck will break for you. And the idea is it's supposed to be safe. You know, It will automatically break for you. But here's the problem. It picks up things such as pylons. It picks up things such as overpasses. So 
all of a sudden you're on pure solid ice like I was last year at this time and the truck decided to break 50% brake application. Guess what happened to my truck? It went for what we call a jackknife. Okay. Mm -hmm. And there was no reason for it. So a lot of these safe systems are not actually safe. (gasps) Uh, The one that drives me probably the craziest is the lane assist system. It goes off a minimum 25 times a day. Like you hear this 25 times a day. There is no possible way that you could tell me that that is safe. And it would be what I would call distracting constantly right so yeah just to reiterate that so but yes i will definitely on a future podcast of highway freaks will be going into that in more detail when i leave this company so anyway um that's great thank you tony for your topic and we're going to go into another song from fist called day by day on highway freaks I wasn't 
So we're back. Last week, we lost an iconic Hollywood legend named Richard Roundtree. Uh, Richard was born July 9th, 1942 in New Rochelle, New York. Uh, he started his professional career around 1963. He began working as a model at eBay uh, Fashion uh, Fair. And he began modeling in the advertisements for products such as Johnson products, which include Duke hair grease and Salem cigarettes. Richard made his first big screen appearance by playing a minor role in the film, What Do You Say to a Naked Lady? Now, this was a 1970 American hidden camera style reality film directed by Candid Camera Center Alan Fun. You guys might remember Candid Camera. And um, he secretly recorded people and you know the reactions to unexpected encounters now in this case it was unexpected with nudity or sexuality and unusual situations and roundtree had a small part with a script playing half of an interracial couple in 1971 he landed his biggest role as john shaft in the action movie shaft also considered the very first black action hero way back then he was a basically known as a trailblazing actor who starred as the ultra smooth, don't take no shit, private detective who rebelled against the police back then. He then did an action sequel in 1972 called Shaft's Big Score, and 1973 was Shaft in Africa. Then he went on to play the same role in the 1973-1974 TV series on the new season of the new CBS Tuesday Night Movies, which was broadcast every third week. Richard Roundtree was not impressed with his new series as his character was dramatically toned down, as well as the violence because it was network television. What happened would be a seven-episode series from October 9, 1973 to February 19, 1974, and this had a huge dip in TV ratings due to the inconsistency of a regular TV show gaining ratings weekly. It's assumed that maybe because he was African-American, it wouldn't be kosher to be politically correct at that time to have a black private detective on your TV screen every week. In 1981, Richard Roundtree appeared opposite Laurence Olivier and Ben Gazzara in the epic war film Incon. Unfortunately, it made about $2 million, but it cost $41 million to make it. Roundtree then landed a small bit part in it as an army sergeant, uh, Augustus Anderson. In 1984, he starred again as private detective Deal Swift in the buddy crime drama City Heat, acting alongside rising stars Clint Eastwood and Burt Reynolds. That was considered a box office office flop after making a mere $13 million. Then he made it big once again in the 1977 TV miniseries Roots, and I'm sure some of you guys remember that. He played a slave, Sam Bennett, alongside rising star LeVar Burton. He starred as Dr. Daniel Rubens in the first fully integrated daytime soap called Generations from 1989 to 1991. Among his film credits, Roundtree made guest appearances in 1974's Earthquake, Maniac Cop, Embassy, Charlie One-Eye, Man Friday, Diamonds, Escape to Athena, Portrait of a Hitman, Game for Vultures, An Eye for an Eye, One Down, Two to Go, The Big Score, Kill Point, Crack House, and his last movie was actually called Moving On with uh, Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda. So he's played police lieutenants, sergeants, cops, 
private investigators, teenage dads, tour guides, Uncle Joe, race car drivers, someone's lover, a boat captain, district attorney, and a president's advisor as Booker T. Washington. In 1971, he reprised his role as Uncle Shaft in the remake with Samuel L. Jackson, who played the title role Shaft from 1972 to 2022. Richard stayed busy with stints on Hollywood Squares, the Dean Martin celebrity roast of Telly Savalas, The Love Boat, a judge on the 1980 Miss Universe pageant, Chips, Magnum P.I., ABC's After School Specials, Murder, She Wrote, A Different World, Amory, 21 Jump Street, MacGyver, The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, Beverly Hills 90210, L.A. Law, Hanging In With Mr. Cooper, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, As the World Turns, Desperate Housewives, The Closer, Knight Rider, The Mentalist, Chicago Fire, Playing Chief Bowden's Dad in Four Reoccurring Roles, Greg, The Lethal Weapon TV Series, and 14 episodes on Family Reunion, a Netflix TV series. So he stayed very, very busy. As for his personal life, what went, well, Roundtree was married, divorced twice, and had five kids. He married Mary Jane Grant in 1963, his first love, when they were both students at Southern Illinois University. He was 22 years old, as she was as well. Mary Jane supported her new husband's career as a model and actor, moved in with him to New York City, where Richard joined the Negro Ensemble Company uh, acting in a stage production. She also helped him land his breakthrough role as John Schaff, who fought crime in Harlem, Chicago. They had two children, Nicole, 1965, and Taylor, born 1969. Back then, they lived in Manhattan, New York, and they mingled with celebrities like Isaac Hayes, Sidney Poitier, and Diana Ross. Among the 46 different books on Amazon written by Richard, uh, not written by Richard, but written about him, he admitted he cheated on his first wife several times with other women. He struggled with alcoholism, which affected his health, as well as a drug addiction of sorts. Richard said that with fame, he was very selfish and irresponsible as a husband and father and truly regretted his actions in his first marriage. Mary Jane and Richard divorced in December 1973 after 10 years of marriage. Shortly after that, he dated or had a fling with Kathy Lee Crosby for a while. Then he married Karen Cernia in 1980. Then they divorced after 17 years of marriage with three kids, Kelly, John, and Morgan. In 1993, Richard Roundtree was diagnosed with breast cancer and underwent a double mastectomy. That's what you heard, breast cancer, on his left side breast and did six months of chemotherapy. Sadly, Roundtree developed the pancreatic cancer, which evolved from the breast cancer. Now, this is the mind-boggling stat. 3% of all breast cancer uh, mastocytes the, to the gastrointestinal system, it's 97% unusual for the primary to the ductal adocicarcinoma, but it can and did happen to Richard Roundtree. Now, back in July of 2008, Terrell and I had the pleasure of meeting this amazing man. It was quite by accident, really, as I was working for another carrier at the time. After seeing the amazing Devil's Tower, which you guys remember was made famous in the close encounters of the third kind, I delivered close to a place called Belfouche, South Dakota. We ended up at a nearby Conoco truck stop where Richard Roundtree was filming and directing a movie called Set Apart with John Schneider from Dukes of Hazard fame. 
the movie was about an inner city ministry working with a pastor played by John Schneider himself to get four inner city kids in danger of joining gangs to work on a country dude ranch. And not only did he direct it, but he also starred in it. It was weird, too, because we see this movie being filmed with what looked like a movie set, right? I walk over to this older-looking black guy, right, African-American gentleman, and I ask him, hey, what are you doing? Turns out it's actually Richard Roundtree himself, and then Terrell and I just basically found this out at that point. And he's, he was super nice. Like, he, he first of all, he goes, hey, you want to sit down? And we're sitting down as his director chairs, and he just sat and let us watch the fill the scene. Uh, in the set apart movie, I recall it very vividly. It was there was a fight scene we watched that afternoon. I have actually put it on the Highway Freaks Facebook page, so you can see the pictures of us and and the scene. And I have to say, uh, Richard was so down to earth. He was humble. He he's just a great guy. And he even spent time with Terrell, telling him about his family. And then they got into alcoholism because. Uh, my wife had lost her mother and brother to, uh, unfortunately, a drunk driver. So the last thing I re remember that Richard did with us, I was so shocked. Not too many actors ask if you want to take a picture with them. And we did. We took pictures and uh, just had a really enjoyable time with this guy. And, you know, meanwhile, his crew was just around and they were like, yeah, that's Richard. That's the way he is, right? As for his final achievements, I do I do want to go into this because this is really quite, you know, well to be noted. He was a Peabody Award winner as well. To get this prestigious award, it honors excellence in storytelling that reflects the social issues and emerging voices of our day. Because of their academic affiliation and reputation for discernment, the awards are held in the highest of esteem within the media industry. Each year, the Peabody Board selects a panel of scholars, critics, and media professionals that collect submissions of content aired or otherwise distributed during the previous calendar year. The Peabody Awards is an honor like no other with an extensive history. It's housed at the University of Georgia's Grady School of Journalism and Mass Communication. The Peabody Award continues to celebrate excellence in entertainment, in documentary, news, podcasting, radio, arts, youth, and public service programming. And Richard Roundtree will forever be in that iconic group of people. He would even host the 21st Annual Black Engineer of the Year Awards, or BEA. It recognizes excellence in engineering for government and civil organization, and is one of the largest diversity events the US Navy participates in every year. Richard Roundtree was recognized for his extensive work as John Shaft in the movies and his work in numerous TV franchises. Richard Roundtree passed away October 24th, 2023 at the age of 81 in Los Angeles, California, unfortunately because of pancreatic cancer. Rest in peace, my dear old friend, Richard Roundtree. Wow, what a busy guy. Very busy. Very, very busy. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys have seen any of his movies or if you uh, re remember this guy, but he was all over TV for the better part of 20 years and you wouldn't even known it. I feel kind of bad because when you mentioned his name, I was like, who? I, like, I remember watching Shaft with my mom and dad when I was a kid, but all the other parts he played, I remember Roots. I watched that as well. But all the right. other parts, movies he was in i there's no i wouldn't be able to point him out in there right yeah no he's pretty recognizable and uh yeah. 
I mean, I, and you know, just I never thought in my wildest dreams I'd I'd meet this guy, and he was just just another guy. He was just so down to earth, and um, that's just something that I mean, I've had celebrities in my life. I mean, I I actually was on Bird on a Wire with Mel Gibson and Goldie Hawn. I played a courier on a bike, but never never i mean and mel was okay you know he asked me how my day was but never anybody that spent like over an hour with us sitting talking and stuff i mean that that is just unheard of nowadays he was down to earth yeah he, he, was, he a, was a great guy he was a working man so you know he knew he knew how to treat people you know some of these actors and actresses that you know do a couple of movies or a couple of TV shows and and are making a lot of money now. They can just suddenly become snobs because of it, but because he yeah. he actually worked for a living. Yeah, and it, it is sad because of all the work he did. His net worth at the time of his death was reported to be two million dollars. Guys, that's wow. not a lot. No, considering everything he did. Oh, he, he was a hard-working guy. Absolutely. He never, doesn't sound like he was unemployed for very long because he did the next stint and the next one and the next one. So, no, I was very impressed and I was very sad to hear of his passing because I guarantee you probably see him on, you know, playing grandpa roles and stuff like that by now. So, um, but yeah, so Richard Roundtree, another great icon gone too soon. Although 81 is a good a good ride. We will say that. Okay, so when we get back, we're going to do some pylon shout outs. And what I want to put up is another great song by Fist. This one's a classic, taking it day by day on Highway Freaks.
Next up, we are going to do the pylon shoutouts for the week. Uh, Tony B, what have you got lined up for your pylons? Um, you this evening with your podcast. It was awesome. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. And do you have a blue and a black? Uh, what's the blue again? For a male that's um, done something good for you in the last week. Brian Wade. Bry guy. Okay. And any black what? ones? Uh, what's the black ones again? For somebody that has annoyed you. <laughs> uh, okay. My late boyfriend's daughter. She's disappointed me. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Here Greg. Greg, what, who do you have for your pylon shoutouts? I'd say for the red one, probably I would send out to my niece, Bridget. Uh, she, she moved out to Arizona recently, so we don't get to see her as much, hear from her on the phone, but I love her and I miss her. That's my monkey doodle. <laughs> uh, probably for a blue one, I'd have to, I'd have to say my, my always companion, my, my dog, Trucky. He's been with me for nine years and, and is probably one of the best friends I've ever had. Uh, for the black one, gee, what politician can I add in here? Uh, no, no, <laughs> I, I would have to say probably the guy who, who went on the shooting spree out in, uh, out in Maine recently, uh, glad he's gone. Mm -hmm. Okay. And Bry Guy, who do you have for pylon shoutouts? Well... After the week I've had, I know who I'd like to give a Black Pylon shout-out to, but we will leave that as my employer, and we'll just leave it at that. Uh, as far as the red one goes, well, that goes out to my better half, Terrell. Um, she's continuing to do great things for me at home by getting my laundry done and stuff for me and um, just being really great company when we are watching. We are binge watching, actually, two shows. The Ranch, which uh, was the one with Ashton Kutcher and uh, Sam Elliott. And the other one was really good. It's, it's called The Outer Range. Kind of a creepy one um, with James Brolin. And uh, we stayed up and we binge watched those till three in the morning. So that was a lot of fun. Okay. And as far as the blue one goes, um, well, that could probably be passed on to uh, a guy that I met at the grocery store the other day. Um, he knows who he is. I told him he could, you know, told him about our podcast and whatnot. And uh, he helped me locate an item that I couldn't, but probably a really good blue one goes out to my new massage person, uh, Stan. Uh, uh, you know, you're always leery of getting a massage from a male. Um, not, not for those reasons either. <laughs> not at all. Okay. But uh, God, man, the guy was the guy was amazing. And, and he was a great conversationalist. And I know he's going to be listening to this podcast. So hats off to you, Stan. I'm looking forward to my next massage. Um, the guy just beat the hell out of my feet. And it, he says it, it doesn't hurt then it doesn't work. And my feet are better today. So uh, I got to give him a blue one. Well, that's, that's good. 
Okay, so that's all of yours. All right, so my pylons. Um, I couldn't think of a red one this week. And for a blue pylon, I would like to give that to Motorhead Mark. Um, follow up from our last uh, conversation about Laird Wheaton and my, my truck and the brakes. Um, on the weekend, Mark completed the brake job on my truck. And right on. Uh, as he was working away at it, um, he was teaching me uh, all the, the parts and what they do and what they should look like. And in the end, all my truck needed were the brake pads replaced. The rotors were fine. The calipers were fine. So uh, I, I appreciate. And then he also did an oil change on the truck and um, a horrendous signal light bulb change, which turned into a gong show because on the newer trucks, no you, vehicles, you can't just reach back in there, take the bulb out and swap it out. You've got to take things apart and just about go in from the tailgate kind of thing. So it was a bit of a gong show, but he got it all done for me. And my black pylon, I would like to throw another one at Laird Wheaton again. Um, they deserve it. Right. After, they, after they quoted me that I needed a total overhaul on my brakes, all I needed was, was the pads. So I'm really curious to know if they would have, when they took the wheels off and took a look at the rotors and the calipers, if they would have said, oh, we don't need to change these, or if they would have just gone ahead and done it anyway. Um, and I think Corinne, you forgot one more person. Pav. I thought I thought I'm not getting the shallot shorter oh, today, so I'm just staying in the back. My apologies. <laughs> Pav, no we need to shout outs from you. <laughs> oh, my week was so far really good. My sister always helping me with food. My girlfriend, she's always helping, so I'll give the Red one to both of them. I uh, will give the blue one to my landlord, David. He was helping me a lot since the snow showed up in Calgary. And for the black one, I don't have any. So I will go with the one that you guys mostly give it to groceries and everyone. So yeah, for mm -hmm. me, it was all good for me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Sorry about that. Missing you on no there. No worries. Don't worry. I'm going to give you the you... black one. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> We need you to, to have a topic every week. So I remember you're there. <laughs> you're in the background. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no problem. All right. Well, thank you so much, everybody. So coming up, uh, we have Fifth's recent, uh, most recent album's title track, Alive, coming up for your enjoyment. And I'd like to thank all the freaks for listening in and have a wonderful week. May the good news be yours. Thank you very much. Good night. Good night. Good night, guys.